0: Here they come! Hello and welcome to episode 166 of Effectively Speaking, the podcast that takes a look at some of the special effects sequences of film and television, be they classic, average or duff. I'm your host, Eric Moore, and today I'm a poorly boy. Um, This morning I was tested positive for COVID, so I am banished for the duration to our spare room. So here I am in our spare room, Surrounded by books and magazines and and my laptop, so I thought you know I would uh, put together some of our other shows uh, and be productive there. And then I thought I also do a um, a a, an effectively speaking sorry I'm not quite with it today. An effectively speaking uh, a solo effectively speaking about a film I've been wanting to feature for a long time, and finally I'm going to do it. 1957's. The monster that challenged the world. Johns. Johns. Answer me, Johns. I'm okay. Blake. It got Blake. What are you talking about? I'm coming up. Get out! Me. I couldn't help it. I've got to go back. Talk sense. What's down there? I don't know. I never saw anything like it before. Like what? A creature. A giant creature. You're not going to go back down there. Take your hands off me. I've got to kill it. I said you're not going to go back down there. Stay out of this, will you? I'll take care of him. We haven't got time for hysterics. He's got to tell us what we're fighting. I don't know. Was it just one of these creatures? I think so. There was a cave. Outside. That thing. An egg. That must be one of its eggs. Behind you! 1957 was a bumper year for monster movies. Um, Some classics, some not so. Uh, They included The Deadly Mantis, 20 Million Miles to Earth, Attack of the Crab Monsters, The Black Scorpion, The Monolith Monsters, The Amazing Colossal Man, and many more. And then there's this film, The Monster That Challenged the World. And um, I've said on the Facebook page, this is a film I only know from photos from my science fiction books that... uh, I studied and studied when I was little. Never got round to seeing it. I I can't ever remember it being on TV. I can't ever remember seeing it for sale on um, on video in the video age or DVD in the DVD age. Um, but uh, I, I I was looking at some of the behind the scenes photos and I thought it would be interesting. And I mentioned that on the Facebook page and uh, that got a response and people saying yeah you should do it. So. Here we go, we're going to do it. Um, By the miracle of eBay, I managed to buy an El Cheapo DVD, a Region 1 DVD, which was uh, a double bill of this and it. Uh, One of the it's, I can't remember now. Uh, Bear with me, please. Um, So, yeah, yeah, so I put it in the player and and watched it. And, um, well... I mean for first impressions I mean it's your standard monster film isn't it I mean we've got the typical opening of um titles of people I've never heard of um blaring music when the film's name appears then at the end of all those credits we get a fade to black and then into a past tense voiceover letting us know uh, le- letting us know things through stock footage um very much as standard um and yeah, here we go. Uh, this this voiceover tells us about a place called Salton Sea in California, in Southern California, a place I've never heard of. I didn't realise that it's actually real, but uh, Salton Sea in California. And as the voiceover says, a strange phenomena where nature has put 400 square miles of saltwater in an arid desert. Now, a while back, I looked into that, and I thought Salton Sea was a... A body of water that was created by a dam or something further down the valley or something. I don't know. Anyway, um, in the film, you've got Thornton and Sea, and there's a research base where they do, in quotes, top secret atomic experiments. Because, hey, it's 1957, isn't it? And um, And they also do parachute practicing into the sea. So that's the setup. We also get an earthquake, and that's quite nice because uh, basically this earthquake is presented by a bloke wobbling a bit outside an office and a tree right by the camera being shaken. That's the extent of the earthquake. Um, And we have a parachuter parachuting into the sea, but he's not there when the pickup boat arrives, just his parachute. Um, One of the two guys dives in to find him and promptly vanishes, and the guy left on the boat, get scared by something we don't see cut to the base and our hero of this film uh commander john twillinger played by tim holt um i recognized tim holt he was in a ton of westerns and i i looked a bit into his backstory he he, he seems to have been a mainstay of westerns Uh, But as he reached a certain age, instead of doing what a lot of people in Westerns did, and that's going to the, you know, the expanding uh, Western TV shows that were cropping up all over the place, he stayed uh, just in films and came out of semi-retirement for this, would you believe? So there he is, John Twillinger. And as is usual through all these films of this era, he is our hero. He is our love interest, uh, With Gail McKenzie being the other half and, you know, it being the late 50s, uh, the hero looks like he's the grandfather of the lady. It's all quite odd and a bit uncomfortable, but there you go. Um, So there you are. He, he, He gets told that this parachuter, parachutist has disappeared and they go out, find the boat, find a dead guy in the boat and a load of slime on the side of the boat. And then, for some reason, um, the missing parachuter bobs to the surpi- surface. Um, and that is peculiar. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find photos and put them on the Facebook page. This body that pops up, um, that is a peculiar face, and it's one of a, a few we're going to have in this film. Um, I think later on they say everything's been, you know, uh, sucked out of him, but it's basically a... a a bad dummy head with ping pong ball eyes by the looks of it. All right, then we have a lot of horrible padding with the love interest. Um the sea is put under quarantine, all very jaws, nobody's to go into the water. Um all very jaws a girl and her boyfriend go night swimming and promptly vanish. Um and then we're into underwater footage. Um very uh creature from the black lagoon and um these two guys they go down to the bottom of the seabed they find a crack in the sea bottom um and we have this hilarious moments i mean that is real bona fide underwater swimming and it looks pretty good but every time you see a close-up of one of these two guys because they're talking on their radio mics they are obviously in you know a tank somewhere in the studio and they've got like plastic seaweed just in front of the camera to denote that they are actually on the seabed um yeah it's not the most um convincing they find an egg and at about the 38 minute mark we finally see our subject just a close-up of of the creature which looks to begin with like it's a caterpillar with glowing eyes um and absolutely no sense that this thing is under the water with them and it's just like off to one side watching them as they find the girl all right the one that had gone night swimming um it's another dummy with this emaciated face and the ping pong ball eyes and I'm guessing this is meant to be a horrific uh scene and but it it's a real quick cutaway and um this and the next one that's just about to come up it's that 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 odd and they're like disturbing but they're not disturbing in a graphic horrible way they're disturbing in the it's kind of like If somebody's not very good at sculpting and they sculpt something, something is off and it looks all a bit peculiar. I think that's the word. It looks peculiar. It's like if you look at photos from like the 1930s where people had homemade Halloween masks or Father Christmas masks. And they've put their all into it, but there all isn't much. And so you get this like this odd look. Well, yeah, there's this girl under the water emaciated with an odd look. All right. And as they find her body, the monster's still watching them. It's just off to one side. And um, and then we're, I think we're supposed to believe it actually moves because it either moves a bit towards the camera or the camera moves a bit towards it. And it grabs one of the divers and we get this ridiculous dummy head. This is the third dummy head. As it's got the, um, the diver's neck in its jaws... I've got the photo. Look on Facebook. It is the strangest looking thing. I I don't know. Maybe, maybe in 57 you would find that disturbing. It's just a bit peculiar, like I say. I'm going to pause for a second because I've got to, got to have a cough. Yeah, that's better. We get a really good shot of it when it finally comes out of the water. It rears up out of the water um, and menaces the boat. Now, this is rear projection. So you've got the actors in a boat in the studio. You've got a um, a cinema screen behind the boat. And behind that cinema screen, they are showing footage of this monster. All right. Um, And they're beating it off with sticks and everything. And eventually it gets stabbed in the eye and roars and goes back down. Uh, they take the egg back to a tank in the uh, laboratory, um, and you can kind of already see its face. I, I don't know what's going on there. They, they've they got an, this egg, which he, they say is six foot across, in a tank, but all you can really see in it is its head. And the scientist says it's been stopped from hatching by keeping the temperature down. All right? And then we get this really odd stupid Bampop notion where the scientist says that this creature is from the same family as the Kraken, all right, the Kraken, the mythical creature, you know, the big bad from the end of Clash of the Titans, that's a Kraken, according to this scientist they were real and this is from the same family, all right, and then he says it's a direct ancestor to the water mollusk, right. So from that, we're supposed to take the the kraken is a form of sea snail. And that's what these are. And yeah, shortly we're going to find... See, all the photos I've ever seen of this monster, it's just the long neck and it looks like a caterpillar. But later on, we see that it actually is a snail because it's got a snail shell. So that means that when it kind of like came to the surface to that boat, it swam to the surface... Snails can't swim. they got a bloody great rock crusty thing called a shell weighing them down. Oh dear. And then we get stock footage of snails just to um, reinforce the point and drive it all home. And again, the scientist says there are remarkable similarities to the monster. He reckons, and I don't know how, there's at least 10 of them. I think he's talking out of his ass. this guy. There's at least 10 of them but they may be trapped in a cave. All right. But he's worried that if one gets out into the canal, there is a canal which connects the sea all the way down to the, uh, Gulf. If that gets out, it can lay eggs and, um, and then you've got trouble. I guess that's the challenge bit of the title. I mean, it is a crap title. That's another thing that's kind of put me off this film is the monster that challenged the world. It's not really snappy, is it? And I, When I finish watching this film, it's like, well, in what way did a couple of giant snails challenge the world? And while he's waffling away, talking all this bollocks, he shows the army bods there a Life magazine article about how a lake bed was dry. There was a flash flood which filled it with two feet of water. And after a few days, there were millions of shrimp in the lake hatched from dormant eggs And apparently that is true, that that actually happened. And that live magazine that he holds up is the live magazine article that it was in. And uh, he thinks the same thing's going to happen here. And the reason it's happening is because there's radioactive water. So now, yeah, these poor sods that are parachuting for practice into the sea have been parachuting into radioactive water, I guess. Anyway, we, we, we've we got tons more padding, uh, the threat, and I close all the canal locks, and it just goes on and on and on. The the one in the lab gets out of the tank because the temperature has changed. Um, eating all the lab animals that are in the cages in the lab um, without the love interest or her young daughter without them even noticing. I mean, it's a bloody great snail that's got out of a tank and has eaten all the rabbits smash the cages open and they're in the office next door and they don't hear a thing. So here we have the snail who's eaten all the rabbits and decides to menace these two. Chases them into a cupboard. I don't know why. It can just get out and go all round the base. But no, it decides it's going to menace them. They uh, barricade themselves in the cupboard. Uh, it starts chomping its way through the door. And... Um, Then our hero comes in and he combats it by, first of all, he chucks some uh, beakers at it. Then he fires a fire extinguisher at it. Then he rips a pipe up and fires hot air at it. And then the army arrives finally and shoots it. And it dies. And then that's it. They go outside and it's the end. I'm used to films like this. You'll have some little cod little speech at the end about you know we mustn't tamper with nature and da 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 etc etc. No, they just walk walk across the car park and that's the end. So yeah, that's the film. Um, hardly a hardship to watch. I mean, it's only about like an hour and twenty. Um, but yeah, it's not that good, is it? Um, I, I know one of our friends on Facebook said it was one of his favourite. Of the 50s uh, B-movies. But mm, it's just dull. It's just dull and it's very silly. Um, It hasn't got the charm um, or the quirkiness of something like Attack of the Crab Monsters. Or, you know, the Black Scorpion. Both of which we featured uh, on this show before. Um, It's just dull and a bit so what, you know? Alright, behind the scenes. Um, The film was made for just under... A quarter of a million it was shot in 18 days uh with a further th- three days for um the underwater footage the creature itself the snail whatever you want to call it the monster i suppose uh was down to orgy Loman, who uh created it and he was brought in because he had a history of uh working in uh big creature special effects, especially he designed the great white whale for John Huston's version of Moby Dick. And I've got a quote here uh, which says, if you took the skin off the monster, what you would see is basically a large moulded shell, a giant snail shell that I remember stood some four or five feet from top to bottom. It was just a huge replica of a snail shell built of fibreglass. Fitted into it and then stretched up to a height of 11 or 12 feet was what looked like a giant series of tubes and, if you will, erector set pieces of metal that were designed so that they could move both laterally and vertically through hydraulic and electric machinery. It was really a marvellous device, a beautifully conceived piece of machinery which could not have existed without Augie Lohmann's unique personal experience as a special effects man. It took three to five men to work the rheostats and other controls that would move the monster either up or down, or frontwards or backwards, or give it a rolling forward movement. So there you go. That's how they did it. Um, yeah, I I don't mind the uh, the monster itself. It's it's got a nice face, and I especially like the glowing eyes. Um, but when you then realise it's actually, that's only the front bit of a bigger creature. The back half is like no 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 um and it's just not achieved very well so i don't know what shall i give it what shall i give it do i give it a five yeah I'm, I'm, i'll give it a five all right so that's it i'm glad my my, my my voice is held out i'm gonna go off and convalesce a bit more and uh when i'm better i'm gonna be coming back and i think next time i got a bit of a surprise for you so uh stay tuned Thanks, folks. See you soon.